This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of anticoagulant medications from the basic science section on orthobullets.com. In this episode, we will review the coagulation cascade and delve into various anticoagulants including acetyl salicylic acid, unfractionated heparin, low molecular weight heparin, fenaparinox, warfarin, rivaroxaban, also known as Xarelto, dibigatran, transexamic acid, or TXA, and herbal supplements. To start with a simple review of the coagulation cascade, coagulation comprises a series of reactions that lead to the formation of fibrin, which in turn leads to platelet activation and clot formation. It is an imbalance of the coagulation cascade that can thus cause thromboembolism and DVT. Virchow's triad describes the risk factors for thromboembolism and DVT and includes venous stasis, endothelial damage, and a hypercoagulable state. Having orthopedic surgery predisposes patients to the high risk of thromboembolism and certain procedures may require anticoagulation. There are many choices of anticoagulants, each having its own advantages and disadvantages. It is important to note that chemical DVT prophylaxis may not be indicated in isolated lower extremity fractures below the knee. We will first briefly review the mechanisms of the anticoagulants and the advantages and disadvantages of compression stockings, acetylsalicylic acid, IV heparin, unfractionated subcutaneous heparin, low molecular weight heparin, fundaparinox, coumadin, dextran, factor 10A inhibitors, and dibigatran. Then we will delve deeper into each of these anticoagulants. Compression stockings are the most basic form of mechanical stimulation. Mechanical stimulation carries the advantage that there is no risk of bleeding, but it is disadvantageous as it is limited by patient compliance. The first anticoagulant to discuss is acetylsalicylic acid, or ASA, otherwise known as aspirin. ASA inhibits the production of prostaglandins and thromboxanes. ASA's main advantage is that it's convenient and it has a low risk of complications. Moving on to discuss IV heparin, this works by enhancing the ability of antithrombin-3 to inhibit factor 2A, factor 3, and factor 10A. IV heparin is advantageous in that it is reversible. However, it is limited in its use as it is administered via IV. Unfractionated subcutaneous heparin also enhances the ability of antithrombin-3 to inhibit factors 2A, factor 3, and factor 10A, and is reversible. However, it does carry the disadvantage of increased bleeding risk. Low molecular weight heparin, or Lobinox, also works by this same antithrombin-3 mechanism, and is advantageous in that it does not require lab monitoring. Moving on to discuss fundaparinox, fundaparinox is an indirect factor 10A inhibitor that works through the antithrombin-3 mechanism and is advantageous in that it does not require lab monitoring. Regarding Coumadin, Coumadin works via affecting vitamin K metabolism in the liver, limiting the production of clotting factors 2, 7, 9, and 10, and it is the most effective anticoagulant, but it is disadvantageous as it is difficult to reverse. Next. Dextran provides dilutional anticoagulation. It is very effective in anticoagulation, but carries the risk of fluid overload. Moving on to discuss the group of direct factor 10A inhibitors, these drugs include rivaroxaban or Xarelto, apixaban or Eliquis, and adoxaban or Savisa. Again, these are all direct factor 10A inhibitors that carry the advantage of being taken orally, but carry a risk of bleeding. And finally, Dibigatran, or Pradaxa, which is a direct thrombin inhibitor.
We will start our deeper dive into some of these anticoagulants with acetylsalicylic acid, or ASA. To understand the function of ASA, we must first discuss the function of prostaglandins and thromboxane under normal conditions. Normally, thromboxane is responsible for the aggregation of platelets that form blood clots, and prostaglandins function as local hormones produced in the body that have diverse effects, including the transmission of pain information to the brain, modulation of the hypothalamic thermostat, and inflammation. The mechanism of ASA is via the inhibition of production of prostaglandins and thromboxanes through the irreversible inactivation of the cyclooxygenase enzyme within platelets. ASA acts as an acetylating agent, where an acetyl group is covalently and irreversibly attached to a serine residue in the active site of the cyclooxygenase enzyme. This differentiates aspirin from different other NSAIDs, which are reversible inhibitors. Notably, ASA is renally metabolized. The next anticoagulant to discuss is unfractionated subcutaneous heparin. Again, heparin binds and enhances the ability of antithrombin-3 to inhibit factors 2A, 3, and 10A. The reversal of heparin can be accomplished with protamine sulfate. The metabolism of heparin is through the liver, and heparin carries the risk of bleeding, as well as HIT, or heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. Low molecular weight heparin is also known by its molecular name enoxaparin and the trade names Lovenox or Clexane. Low molecular weight heparin has the advantage of not requiring lab value monitoring. It acts at several sites of the coagulation cascade with its principal action being the inhibition of factor 10A. Low molecular weight heparin is reversed by protamine and it is renally metabolized. Bleeding is also a risk factor with low molecular weight heparin. Fundaparinox is next to discuss. Fundaparinox also goes by the trade name Arixtra and has the advantage of not requiring lab monitoring. Fundaparinox is an indirect factor 10A inhibitor acting through the antithrombin 3 mechanism and it is also renally metabolized. With Fundaparinox, studies have shown a decreased incidence of DVT when compared to enoxaparin in hip fractures and total knee arthroplasty patients. However, Fundaparinox has the highest risk of bleeding complications and it is not to be used in conjunction with epidurals. Moving on to discuss warfarin. Warfarin works by the mechanism of anticoagulation via inhibiting vitamin K23 epoxide reductase, which prevents reduction of vitamin K epoxide back to active vitamin K. Vitamin K is needed for gamma carboxylation of glutamic acid for the productions of factors 2, also known as prothrombin, factor 7, factor 9, factor 10, protein C, and protein S. Factor 7 is the first affected. Warfarin levels must be monitored with a target level INR or international normalized ratio of 2 to 3 for orthopedic patients. Notably, this INR is not reached for 3 days after initiation. Warfarin can be reversed using vitamin K, which takes up to 3 days, or via using fresh frozen plasma, which acts immediately. The major risk factor for warfarin is that it is difficult to dose and requires the frequent need for INR lab monitoring and can have adverse reactions with other drugs including rifampin, phenobarbital, diuretics, and cholestyramine. Next up to discuss is rivaroxaban, or Xarelto, and the factor 10A inhibitors, which include apixaban, or Eliquis, and adoxaban, or Civiza and Lixiana. The mechanism of action of these drugs can be deduced from the name. Rivaro, which is the identifier, XA indicates factor 10A, and BAN, which shows that it is an inhibitor, rivaroxaban. Thus, 
rivaroxaban is a direct factor 10A inhibitor. These drugs are metabolized in the liver. There is no current antidote for factor 10A inhibitor reversal, however, andexanet alpha is being investigated. Rivaroxaban does have a risk factor of bleeding and a half-life of 8 hours or 12 hours for apixaban, therefore urgent surgical procedures should be delayed until a half-life span from the last dose. Next, dabigatran or pradaxa works through reversible direct thrombin or factor 2A inhibition. Dabigatran is renally metabolized and is reversed using adiracizumab, which was FDA approved in October 2015. The risks of dabigatran include GI upset and bleeding. Next we will discuss transexamic acid or TXA. TXA acts as an antifibrinolytic that promotes and stabilizes clot formation. Studies have shown that TXA reduces perioperative blood loss and transfusion in total hip and total knee arthroplasty patients. TXA is a synthetic derivative of the amino acid lysine and competitively inhibits the activation of plasminogen by binding to the lysine binding site. Though, at high concentrations, it is a non-competitive inhibitor of plasmin. TXA has roughly 8 to 10 times the antifibrinolytic activity that aminocoproic acid does. Dosing of TXA IV is 10 to 20 mg per kilogram as an initial bolus dose, followed by repeated doses of the initial TXA dose every 3 hours for 1 to 4 doses. Or, the initial 10 to 20 mg bolus is followed by either an infusion of 1 to 10 mg per kilogram per hour for 4 to 30 hours. Topical application of TXA is as effective as IV treatment and TXA can be sprayed into the open wound at the completion of the procedure with no detectable TXA found in the bloodstream after the topical application. Oral administration is shown to be as effective as IV given as 1.95 grams given 2 hours preoperatively. Less than 5% of the TXA is actually metabolized and the biological half-life in joint fluid is 3 hours remaining present in the tissues for up to 17 hours. Systematic reviews show no increase in thromboembolic events and relatively few adverse reactions have been reported in the arthroplasty literature. Finally, discussing some important reactions relative to herbal supplements, increased bleeding is seen with consumption of ginkgo, ginseng, and garlic, which have been found to increase the rate of bleeding. This is related to the effect on platelets and with proper history taking can avoid complications. Next, an increased warfarin effect or an increased INR can be seen with taking omega-3 fish oils which affect platelet aggregation and vitamin K dependent coagulation factors. And finally, a reduced warfarin effect or reduced INR can be seen with the use of coenzyme Q10, green tea which acts as a direct warfarin antagonist reducing the INR, and St. John's wort, which increases the catabolism of warfarin, reducing the INR. Now that we've gotten a general overview of this topic, let's review a few questions to see how this material has been tested in the past. Question 1. A 65-year-old male with a history of DVT undergoes left revision total knee arthroplasty. Postoperatively, he is put on Xarelto, a factor 10A inhibitor, for anticoagulation. Which of the following is true of this class of anticoagulant? 1. High potential for food interactions. 2. Maximal anticoagulant effect achieved 2 to 4 hours after administration. 3. Only available for IV and subcutaneous administration. 4. Requires periodic coagulation monitoring. 
or 5, is metabolized primarily through the kidneys. The correct answer is 2. Maximal anticoagulant effect is achieved 2 to 4 hours after administration. Factor 10A inhibitors such as apixaban and rivaroxaban are a new class of anticoagulants that can be taken orally, taking 2 to 4 hours to reach maximal effectiveness. Exabans, as they are collectively referred, are the new group of anticoagulants that work through direct inhibition of factor 10A. These medications all demonstrate rapid onset of action, a low potential for food and drug interactions, and a predictable anticoagulant effect that negates the need for routine coagulation monitoring. Additionally, exabans are administered orally, so there is no need for needles or injections. Excretion occurs through numerous pathways including the liver, which is the major processor, kidneys, and intestines. The biggest risk factor with this class of anticoagulants is bleeding. However, the FDA has recently approved a coagulation factor 10A recombinant inactivated ZHZO to reverse anticoagulation effects of factor 10A inhibitors in the setting of life-threatening or uncontrolled bleeding. Erickson et al. review the use of novel oral factor 10A and thrombin inhibitors in the management of thromboembolisms. They highlight the fact that these medications have a rapid onset, low potential for interactions, and a predictable anticoagulation profile. They report that rivaroxaban is approved internationally for the prevention of venous thromboembolisms in patients undergoing total hip and total knee arthroplasty. They conclude that the superior pharmacological properties and convenience of this new class of medication has led to improved efficacy and safety. Venker et al. review the safety and efficacy of new anticoagulants for the prevention of venous thromboembolisms after hip and knee arthroplasty. They report that compared to enoxaparin 40 mg daily, apixaban, rivaroxaban, fundaparinox, and edoxaban reduce the rate of VTE after arthroplasty. They conclude, however, that while newer anticoagulants decrease the overall rate of VTE, they also increase the risk of postoperative bleeding. To quickly review the incorrect answers, answer 1, a high potential for food interactions, vitamin K antagonists such as warfarin have many food and drug interactions, not exavans. Answer 3, only available for IV and subcutaneous administration, is incorrect as factor 10A inhibitors are administered orally, a major advantage compared to other anticoagulants. Answer 4, requires periodic coagulation monitoring. This is incorrect as factor 10A inhibitors do not require regular coagulation monitoring as is done with vitamin K antagonists. And finally, answer 5, is metabolized primarily through the kidneys. This is incorrect as excretion occurs through multiple pathways within the liver and the renal systems. Question 2. Which of the following agents results in blood anticoagulation by exerting inhibitory effects on factor 2A or thrombin? 1. Aspirin 2. Fundaparinox 3. Rivaroxaban 4. Transexamic acid or TXA or 5. Heparin. The correct answer is 5. Heparin. Unfractionated heparin works in the coagulation cascade by promoting the ability of antithrombin 3 to inhibit factors 2A, 3, and 10A. Heparin works by binding to and enhancing the antithrombin 3 to inhibit factors 2A, 3, and 10A. It is metabolized in the liver. 
The risks associated with the use of unfractionated heparin include bleeding and heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, or HIT. The reversal agent for heparin is protamine sulfate. Agnelli et al. reviewed direct thrombin inhibitors for the prevention of VTE after major orthopedic surgery. They reported widespread use, however, limitations in the use of unfractionated heparin and low molecular weight heparins. They highlighted that direct thrombin inhibitors like zymelagatran inactivate thrombin without requiring any plasma cofactor, inhibit both free and fibrin-bound thrombin, and do not appreciably bind to plasma proteins. They concluded that the features of rapid absorption, conversion, bioavailability, low variability, dose time, food independency, and the predictable anticoagulant activity make direct thrombin inhibitors an attractive antithrombotic agent, especially for prolonged out-of-hospital prophylaxis. Kwong et al. reviewed the efficacy and safety of fundaparinox, a selective factor 10A inhibitor, and reported its efficacy and safety in four phase 3 clinical trials. They reported fundaparinox usage resulted in an overall 55% decrease in the risk of venous thromboembolism, or VTE, relative to the low molecular weight heparin and oxaparin, without increasing the incidence of clinically relevant bleeding, which was similarly low for both agents. They concluded that the superior efficacy of fundaparinox relative to anoxaparin is the result of its unique mechanism of action and clinical pharmacology. Mechlin et al. investigated the risk factors and chemoprophylaxis for VTE in elective spine surgery. They reported that independent risk factors for VTE included greater age, male gender, increasing body mass index, dependent functional status, lumbar spine surgery, longer operative time, perioperative blood transfusion, longer length of stay, and other postoperative complications. The majority of patients received unfractionated heparin, and they observed that this did not significantly influence the rate of VTE, but was associated with a significant increase in hematoma requiring a return to operating room. They concluded that there is insufficient evidence to support the routine use of chemoprophylaxis in low-risk patients, and recommended full consideration of risks and benefits after elective spine surgery. To quickly review the incorrect answers, answer 1, aspirin, irreversibly binds the formation of thromboxane A2 in platelets, which inhibits platelet aggregation and thus the formation of a clot. Answer 2, fundaparinox is an indirect factor 10A inhibitor that works through antithrombin 3. Unlike unfractionated heparin, it is selective for factor 10 and does not have effect on factor 2A. Answer 3, rivaroxaban has a direct effect on factor 10A inhibition, not factor 2A. And finally, answer 4, TXA competitively inhibits the activation of plasminogen and does not have effect on factor 2A. Last question. A patient undergoing joint arthroplasty is put on a drug that competitively inhibits the activation of an enzyme that breaks down factor 1. The drug is 1. Dibigatran 2. Transexamic acid 3. Rivaroxaban 4. Fundaparinox or 5. Heparin. The correct answer is 2. Transexamic acid. Factor 1A is fibrin. The enzyme that breaks down fibrin is plasmin. Transexamic acid, or TXA, is an antifibrinolytic agent that prevents the activation of plasmin from the inactive zymogen plasminogen. Transexamic acid competitively inhibits the activation of plasminogen to plasmin 
by binding to specific sites on both plasminogen and plasmin. Transuxamic acid has roughly eight times the antifibrinolytic activity of an older analog, aminocoproic acid. It is used during joint replacement surgery to reduce blood loss and the need for transfusion. Watts et al. review strategies for minimizing blood loss and transfusion. They recommend 1 gram of TXA prior to incision and 1 gram at wound closure. They also recommend giving fluids for symptoms of anemia rather than transfusion, as even high-risk patients do well with sufficient intravascular volume even with low hemoglobin levels. Imai et al. evaluated TXA in 107 patients undergoing total hip arthroplasty. They found that intraoperative blood loss after preoperative TXA administration was lower than both control and postoperative TXA administration groups. They recommend using 1 gram of TXA 10 minutes before surgery and 6 hours after the first administration to best reduce blood loss during THA. Gillette et al. retrospectively reviewed 2,046 patients receiving TXA for total hip arthroplasty or total knee arthroplasty together with either aspirin, warfarin, or deltaparin. They found that the rates of symptomatic DVT, 0.35%, 0.15%, and 0.52% respectively, and non-fatal PE were similar, 0.17%, 0.43%, and 0.26% respectively, for the three drugs respectively. They recommend TXA to decrease blood loss and transfusion. Quickly reviewing the incorrect answers. Answer 1. Dibigatran is an oral direct thrombin inhibitor. Answer 3. Rivaroxaban is an oral direct factor 10A inhibitor that is FDA approved for hip and joint arthroplasty DVT prophylaxis. Answer 4. Fundaparinox is an indirect factor 10A inhibitor that works through antithrombin 3. Unlike heparin, it is selective for factor 10A and does not have effect on thrombin. And answer 5. Heparin is an anticoagulant that binds and activates antithrombin 3. Activated antithrombin-3 then inactivates thrombin and factor 10A. That is all for this review about anticoagulant medications. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com. And in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or the mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value so far from the OrthoBullets podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, please be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.